As we get into the message today, I want to read an entry from you, a diary entry. This is uh, from her diary. Tonight I thought my husband was acting weird. He had made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. I was hoping, I was shopping with my friends all day long, so I thought he was upset at the fact that I was a bit late, but he made no comment on it. Conversation wasn't flowing, so I struggled that we, so I suggested that we go somewhere. Sorry there, her handwriting is not that great. (laughs) So I suggested that we go somewhere quiet so we could talk. He agreed, but he didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong, and he said nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. He said he wasn't upset, that it had nothing to do with me and not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him that I loved him. He smiled slightly and kept driving. I can't explain his behavior. I don't know why he didn't say I love you too. When we got home, I felt as if I had lost him completely, as if he wanted nothing to do with me anymore. He just sat there quietly and watched TV. He continued to seem distant and absent. Finally, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed. About 15 minutes later, he came to bed, but I still felt that he was distracted and his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I cried. I don't know what to do. I'm almost sure that his thoughts are with someone else. My life is a disaster. His diary, motorcycle won't start, can't figure out why. What to do with doubt? You know, doubt is um, a very interesting thing. Um, I, I, I compare it, you know, years ago when I used to work for the Red Cross, I used to teach HIV AIDS education. And, and one of the things is that I learned something interesting about HIV and I consider doubt to be the spiritual equivalent of AIDS and HIV. I don't know if you know what HIV is. It's human immunodeficiency virus. AIDS is acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. It is actually or essentially the exact same disease, but in two different stages. What happens when you get HIV, you get the disease, you have it there, it's affecting you, and what it does is that it destroys your your white blood cells in your body, that thing that fights off diseases and stuff. And so when... It destroys so much of it that you get roughly to about 200 T-cell count in your body. Now, your your condition has shifted from just someone who has HIV, but now you are at the stage of AIDS. Same disease, two different stages. When they give you that label, that stamp, that you have AIDS, it's because your immune system is so weak now that you can die from many other diseases. I learned when I was working for the Red Cross that people rarely die from the virus itself, but rather other diseases that they're susceptible to because now they're in the category of AIDS. So diseases like uh, toxoplasmosis is a, a cat disease. That cat who eat already dead mice, they get it, is airborne. It doesn't affect us with a regular immune system, but if you have that label of AIDS, now suddenly a cat disease can affect you. You get other conditions, forms of skin cancers like carpus sarcoma. You get toxoplasmosis. You get uh, thrush and other things that, that just come at you. And, and pneumonia and, and, and a regular cough and bronchitis, all of these things. 
suddenly it's like you're saying, come on in, diseases, jump right in, because this is where you are. And so what hurts you is not necessarily HIV AIDS, but everything else that you're receptible and susceptible and vulnerable to. The same thing happens with doubt. You know, having doubt is different than questioning something. Sometimes it's good to question how, how is it that something may work. Sometimes it's good to question, well, why is it that we have to conform to this? Or this doesn't seem right. I, I, you know, and that's all right. But the thing with doubt, when it comes to the things of God, now you're susceptible to many, many things. And so today we're going to discuss briefly. It's a very plain, simple message. It's not part of the Revelation series that we're doing in the evenings. But even though it's plain and simple, even though we're only going to discuss four main areas of this concept of doubt, it can be something that can save your life. And if neglected, the opposite can happen. Because when you have doubt, that means that you will begin to question everything, even about the God who died for you, who loves you, who's coming back to take us home. Let us go ahead and pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, Father God, we come before you. And Lord, as we discuss this concept of what to do with doubt, I ask, Lord, that you pour out your Holy Spirit here, that it be you speaking and not I, and that we may be able to be receptive to your message. We ask these things in your most holy and precious name. Let everyone here say, Amen. If you go up with me to Job chapter 11, Job 11, verses 7 and 8, and then we'll go to Romans 11 as well. Look at that. Job 11. See, the first... I think we struggle with doubt. The very first reason why I think we struggle with doubt is because we doubt that which we do not understand. It is difficult to understand. It is hard. So therefore, I'm doubting it. Therefore, I don't believe it. Therefore, I struggle with it. Job 11, 7, and 8 says the following. When you have it, say amen. All right. It says, can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? Verse 8, they are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? And so go, your, go work your way to Romans 11, verse 33. But as you're working your way there, understand, it says, look, the, the stuff that, that God has, there's some deep stuff. Can we really understand it? I mean, it's higher than the heavens, deeper than Sheol. Sheol is another uh, word for sometimes it's translated as hell. Sometimes it's translated as, as the grave. It, it literally means the grave. So, I mean, deeper than below the ground, deeper than, than uh, higher than the heavens. I mean, this is some interesting stuff. Can we really understand it? Can we really comprehend it? What is happening here? What are the things of God? You know, we read in the scriptures that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Look what it says in Romans 11, 33. All the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And so we struggle because we don't understand it. That seems to be the challenge, but I have a problem with that. Work your way to Second Peter chapter 3. Because you see, just because we cannot understand it, just because they're difficult to comprehend, it doesn't mean that Christ doesn't reveal these things to us. See, understand something. There are things in the scriptures that explain wonderful things for us. First of all, how did we come about? How were we created? I always love asking this question. What came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken, right? How do we know that? 
Because God said it, right? God created it, and so it was. And so this is what happens. What do you consider an adult? Tell me, what age do you think is an adult? I, I want to hear from you. I I'm sorry, what? 12? Okay, what else? 16? 15? 16. Okay, anybody else? What, what is an adult? 21? 18? Okay. All right. And so, you know, I ask that because, you know, in, in, like when you do bar mitzvahs and things like that, they, they, uh, they consider, you know, the young men are switching into a, into a man at the age of 13. In, in, in Spanish cultures, we do quinceañeros when they're 15. In, in, in American cultures, we do sweet 16 when they're 16. Some of you said 18 or 21. I guess you consider an adult when you're able to, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and so not that you know anything about that here. But, but you said all of those different ages. But when God create, created Adam, he created man. He did that on the sixth day. He was one day old. And doesn't matter what level of measurement you use, what was he, 13, 15, 16, 18, 21? According to the Bible, he was only one day old. But yet he was a man. But he was one. But he was a man. But he was only one day old. But he was a man. And so it is because the Bible explains this, and it's difficult for us to understand it, but the Bible reveals all of that, from how sin entered the world, to the incarnation of Christ, how regeneration works, the resurrection, and many other subjects are in the Scriptures, and the Bible reveals that to us. Just because they're difficult to understand is not a reason for us to go right ahead and doubt. It ought to be a reason for us to search deeper and ask God to reveal these things to us. Second Peter 3.16 Second Peter 3.16, because you see, Peter does agree that some of this stuff is, is hard. Peter, who walked with Jesus himself for so many years. Second Peter 3.16, also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. He mentioned, look, there's some stuff that's hard in here. And some people, they, they, they grab it, they twist it to their own detriment, to their own destruction. And they do that not only with some of these writings here. Uh, it, it seems that he was referring to some of Paul's writings. Um, but also with the rest of the scriptures, they do the exact same thing. This stuff is hard. I understand it. Peter declared that. And so we have to recognize our limitations. You know, many of us are skeptical about who God is because of our inability to comprehend God. And, and you know... Understand, uh, you know, we, we, we joke around sometimes with, with kids nowadays. They don't know what it is to um, pick up the phone and, 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 or you're in the middle of a conversation with someone and somebody else picks up and it's like, Mom, I'm on the phone. Sorry about that. Mom doesn't know I'm on the phone because, you know, there's one line throughout the whole house and everybody shares the line. You know, remember before it was call waiting, you try to get a hold of someone and there's that busy dial tone and all of those different things. Remember long distance when long distance was an issue? You know, make it like two seconds, you know, and, and see what you can do. Remember collect calls, right? Anyhow, I'm, I'm, I'm so digressing at the moment. The point is, is that I have no idea. I have no idea how some of this stuff works, how my voice can be transferred through wires and now with cell phones through the air. And now you do this cool FaceTime thing where all of this beauty can be transferred all the way and appear in my wife's phone when I'm traveling and we're talking to each other. It's like, hey, baby, oh, well, look at that. Whoa, yeah. And, you know, and how, how does it happen? But yet, I don't doubt that it is possible. 
Because I have seen it, I have tested it, I, I, I have touched it, I can feel it. So you don't need to understand something to be able to believe in it. The problem is that because we can't often understand some of the things of God, we doubt it and we struggle with it. And the danger is that we may want to say, well, this is for the people out there. But believers are also in grave danger. Go to Hebrews 3.12. Hebrews 3.12. So, all right, if we use the Bible quite a bit this morning. Hebrews 3.12. And when you have it, say amen. Hebrews 3.12. And it says, Beware, be careful, watch out, brethren, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. God. And so we need to be careful. And you know, it's okay if you struggle a little bit. What is not okay is that if you make that your point of departure for God. Go to 1 Corinthians 2.10. 1 Corinthians 2.10. And then we'll go to Colossians 2 as well. 1 Corinthians 2.10. I love hearing those pages turn and those cell phones click. 1 Corinthians 2.10. When you have to say amen. It says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. If we seek earnestly, go to Colossians 2, if we seek earnestly, the Holy Spirit will reveal even the deep things of God. This is something that is made available. It may be difficult at first. It may be hard to understand. But if you seek earnestly, my God will make all of these things clear to you. And then you're going to be sitting there reading the Bible. And two of us are reading. One of us who has been digging and searching are saying, wow, this is clear. And the person next to you, yeah, it's clear as mud. Because they, they're not understanding it. But if you search, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Look at Colossians 2.1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Because I want you to understand how this works. This is the whole concept of revelation, inspiration, and hermeneutics. I don't know if you know what that means. Revelation, inspiration, and hermeneutics. Here's revelation, okay? Revelation is when something is presented before you, whether it is the voice of God, whether it's a vision, whether it is a dream, whether it's God speaking through someone, something is brought to you, it is revealed. Inspiration is when the Holy Spirit touches you to be receptive to listen to what is coming. Hermeneutics, another good, uh, I guess, translation for that would be interpretation. Hermeneutics is to understand how that works. If any of you have done counseling with me, especially marriage counseling, I talk to you about communication and this concept of this is what's happening here in the brain of, let's say, the woman. And she has to now try to figure out what's happening in her brain and put it into words. So she'll utter those words. Now you have the ear of a man. He listens, takes in all of those words, and then he tries to process it in his brain to figure out what the woman meant. The question is, does the brain here match the brain over here? What was received here was what was meant to be sent here. Because when it comes to communication, what is in the brain, sometimes we get excited, sometimes we get desperate, sometimes we get angry, sometimes we're nervous, and we cannot translate 
translate that into the proper words. We know what we want to say, but we don't say what we mean, and it's just whatever. So the question is, does this coming out of here is clear enough so that when I hear it here, I can understand it here? There is that concept. And so when you look at the scriptures, when you look at this concept of hermeneutics, when the Lord reveals something to, to the individuals who wrote the scriptures as the Spirit worked through them, exactly what were they thinking, exactly what were they seeing, because they're writing it in human words, and not only human words, a language of the time, not only a language of the time, there's some Greek and Hebrews and Aramaic there that is different than the modern Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic today. And so the idea is that you ask for the Holy Spirit. So that as I read these words that were put into paper, I, 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 can, I can understand exactly what was it that was the message that was meant to be sent at that point. So let's look at Colossians 2, beginning on verse 1, and, and, and we'll, we'll see this concept here. It says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Attending to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should be deceived, anyone should deceive you with persuasive, persuasive words. Verse 5. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you received him, walk in him. Verse 7, root it and build up in him and establish in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Verse 8, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. I could do a whole message just in those last verses. I'm not going to do that because it's not the point of today. We're just meant to touch on four key areas as to why we doubt. One of them is not, not being able to understand. But understand here as we're reading that as we accept the Christ and we walk in him and are built up in him and grow in him, he will reveal these things to us. And we need to be careful. Notice what it says in there. Beware. Make sure you know what's happening so that nobody misleads you by their traditions and their things and what they're doing. Make sure that you are okay. Some other day I'll share with you a message on the difference between holistic practices and sacred doctrine. There's a huge distinction between what we've done because we've always done it this way and exactly what the Bible teaches that is doctrine. Huge distinction. We need to be careful of tradition sometimes because sometimes we could be too traditionalist even for God. That's what happened with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus wasn't holy or perfect enough for them. The Messiah, the Savior, wasn't salvific enough for them and therefore they rejected him. Because they wanted to abound to their traditions. And so we need to keep that in mind as well. But not only that, also through philosophy and deceit. What do I tell you all of the time? Don't believe anything that I'm telling you. Go back to the word of God and search it for yourself. Because the Bible says that in the end times, not only will devils work miracles, but even demons will pose as pastors. 
So you need to grow in Christ yourself. As you receive him, so walk in him. And what is included in our walk with Christ? Well, we prayed. We read the word. We're carrying out his commission. You know, many of us think that has just come here, preach to me, I take it and call it a day. But we are called to be wounded healers. It is by beholding that we become changed. It is by receiving Christ and sharing Christ with others that transformation takes place. It is not just taking it in and becoming a bench warmer. You, you hear me say that a lot, don't you? Well, isn't it time? We need to walk in Christ also. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning on verse 10. So we walk in him. We talk to him. How is it that we grow in him? We've been studying a whole Sabbath school lesson in, in, in this, this whole quarter. How is it? How is it that we grow in him? Through whom? Absolutely. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 10 and 11, it says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Verse 11, For what man knows the, the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit. So if no one knows the things of God except the Spirit, then how is it that we are going to know? Unless we allow the Spirit to work in us and through us for the benefit of all. John 16, 13 and 14 says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, hath come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Verse 14, He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Steps to Christ, page 109, it says, God desires men to exercise his reasoning powers and the study of the Bible will strengthen and elevate the mind as no other study can. You know, I got to tell you, I enjoy reading a lot. Um, I read a lot of books and now with some of the audio stuff, I read and I hear. So I'm getting through the books like much quicker now. So I'm actually taking much more in. But there is nothing like going through the word of God. There's nothing like it to expand your mind. I have read the Bible in, in, in various different languages. And, you know, so far this year, I'm up to uh, Jeremiah now. Uh, you know, as I'm, as I'm, I started in Genesis and I'm, and I'm going through there. And every time I read it, there's still things that it's like, oh, I don't remember ever hearing this before. I never saw that from this person. What in the world? And I know I've read it, but it's like brand new. Suddenly, there's something about it when you read it. And I will read a story, and suddenly from a different perspective, certainly some, something more pops out out of the page. And it just so happens that it is always the right thing that I need for the right circumstances that I'm going through during that point in my life. And there's nothing like the Word of God, and it is very, very crucial. So reason number one why we doubt is because we cannot understand. We have a tough time understanding, but if we search... We will have understanding. If we abide and walk in Christ, we will be able to understand. But some of us shut down just before that. Reason number two, I believe we doubt because we can't see it. I believe we doubt because we cannot see it. For example, you know, um, wouldn't you have been want to be the one who invested in Yahoo or Google or the one that gave the first loan to the guy that bought the, the, the recipe for the McDonald's brothers some years back, you know, to be able to, to go into business? Like, what? You're going to do like quick food like burgers and stuff being done quickly and that kind of stuff yeah there's no way i'm invested in that kind of business that's not going to work 
Little did they know that they set the tone for franchises and fast food restaurants alike, but they couldn't see it. They couldn't invest in it. They couldn't put their money in it because they couldn't see that. I mean, we can't see the positive things when Christ says something silly like, love your enemy. How is that going to help? I'll pound my enemy. I'll beat on my enemy. I'll get back at my enemy, but love him? When he says silly things like, turn the other cheek, you mean I could win a fight in a godly manner by turning the other cheek? What It doesn't make any sense. And because we can't see it, we doubt. For example, go with me to Malachi chapter 3. This is another one that, you know, we, we struggle a lot in our churches. Malachi chapter 3. You might be familiar with this. But this is another one that, you know, I used to work in finance. And, and this is a big absolutely no way, Jose, that this is going to work. Uh, Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10. And it says as follows, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Verse 10, you are cursed with a curse. Sorry, verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I would not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive them. You know, that is something that makes absolutely no sense. Less is more. You mean I could barely pay my bills right now, and you're saying that I need to give a percentage to God, to the storehouse, to the church, and that's going to mean more money in my pocket? Say what? We can't see it, and we don't understand it. And I have to tell you, this is something that you have to experience. I'm not telling you this as a pastor. Understand this, and I don't know if you know how, how, how tithing works, but I'll give you some highlights without specific percentages. But what happens is this. You take a percentage of, you take the, the tithing that goes from this church, it goes to the conference. They keep a portion, and they pay the pastors across Florida. From there, they send a percentage to the union. The union keeps some stuff and sends a percentage over to the divisions. The division keeps a little bit to function, and then it sends it over to the to the worldwide general conference and then from there it gets distributed across the world and so what happens is that if this was a very wealthy church rather than me being one of those pastors with private jets and limousines and and all kinds of wealth meanwhile somebody down there in Crawfordville is just starving because it's only 10 people or 20 people in the church you know that 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 seems to be uneven and lopsided and so the way that is set up in this format is that the funds get dispersed evenly across. So whether you are a poor church or a real rich church, my salary does not change. And the cool thing is that your funds from this local church get, gets, gets passed on in such a way that throughout the world the mission can be carried out. Because it trickles from the top all the way down and we try to make it as even as possible. And that's usually how it works in a nutshell. That being said, regardless of how it flows, the Bible says that it comes back to the storehouse. Don't worry about what the storehouse is going to do with it necessarily. Even if they decide to do something bad with it and steal God's money, that's between them and God. Your job between you and God is to bring it to the local storehouse. That was a rough one for me. Because when I struggle with the pastor or when I struggle with the church or when I struggle with the people, it's like, man, there's no way. I'm supporting that. I'd rather send my funds elsewhere or do something else. But that's, that's an issue because God calls you to do one thing. And what happens from there is between you and God. 
You know, what, what happens if it's between them and God as well? And you're saying, yeah, that's kind of harsh. You have to say that because you're a pastor. I'll tell you this. I'm not telling you because I'm a pastor. What comes down to it is this. If tithing goes down, don't just give me more churches. It will be a while before I lose my job. You know, unless everybody, whatever. You're not really paying my salary directly. They don't try to do that. You know, what, what they do is that as, as it comes in, they disperse it throughout and, and, and the more busy I am, the more churches or less churches accordingly. But me losing my job is not dependent on you as an individual. If half of this church decides not to do it, it's whatever. So I'm not telling you that for the pastor's thing. In addition to that, before I got into pastoral ministry, I worked for Edward Jones. And I had a base salary of $108,000 a year. I still got a couple of bachelors and a master's outside of pastoral ministry. I will be okay. But I am telling you this for you. Because I wrestled with this long before I became a pastor. I wrestled with this way before I got into ministry. And I saw how God really keeps with his promises when he says, be faithful in this, test me on this, and watch if I don't open the floodgates of heaven for you. It was somewhere in the early uh, 2000s, 2001, I think it was the year 2002, I was an executive director for the YMCA. And... During that year, the YMCA was in Camden. I was living in Blackwood in New Jersey, which is a little bit further away. And so I was tired of the commute. And when I first signed a lead with this apartment complex, um, they told me, you know, if you just give us a 60-day notice, you're good to go. So I said, great. So now I'm a year and a half in. I'm into the second lease. And I gave them a 60-day notice. And it says, oh, when you renew the lease, that criteria changed. Now you're responsible to pay until the end of the lease. So I find myself now paying my new place, paying my old place. This is in December now, mind you. And then a car hits me and run because that's typical of Camden, New Jersey. You know, some guy wanted to fight with another guy, got out of his car, forgot to put his car in park, left it in reverse, and his car came and ran into my car. He runs into his car and he runs out. And yes, I have full coverage, but I had to come up with a $500 deductible. On top of that, the YMCA, we had three different branches, and I don't know what happened, but there was something with payroll and being short on funds, and my paycheck bounced twice that month, and I only get paid twice that month. So here I am having to, you know, pay the $500 deductible, paying two leases, and no income whatsoever for someone that used to live paycheck to paycheck. And then from there, you fast forward a little bit. You know, this is my new place. And we kind of got over that sometime in January. Come February, there was an accident with my dog. And, um, you know, she, she died. And as I'm cleaning out the garage, I moved something. And I tried to remove the door. And the whole garage just caved in. And it cost me about five grand to, to because I just rented a, a dumpster, threw it all in there. But they charged by the pound. And it was like three and a half tons. I'm like, this is crazy. And they charged me so much money. And then from there, when it broke, apparently the fleas needed to go somewhere. So they went in the house. And I had to, like, stay in a hotel for a month. And so all I know is that that year, from that December before, and through the beginning of the year, somehow I had to spend about ten to $12,000 more. And that was nowhere near my budget. Because when you work for nonprofit organizations, you don't do it to be rich. Yeah, I had the title of executive director. But, yeah... That wasn't there. Until this day, I have no idea how was it that the funds just just became available. I was just still writing checks with a prayer. I mean, I have never prayed so hard in my life when you do these things. And I really cannot explain it, but I experienced that then because the one of the things that I remained faithful with was with the tithing with God. And I know it's hard to see that less is more, but 
Test him and try him on this, says the Lord. I don't know how it works. I don't understand it. I can see it. Mathematically speaking, it doesn't add up. But God has shown me time after time, over and over. And so the last thing that I'll say about this, tithing, when you look at the scriptures, and some other day maybe we could do a whole message on this. It's not the point of this. When you look at the, when you look at the, the, the concept of tithing, it's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and you eat some food, your bill is your tithing. That's what you have to pay. Your offering is like your tip. How grateful you are with the service. And so if you're grateful to God, that's where your offerings come in. That's how you demonstrate how grateful you are to the Lord. So I would encourage you to consider this concept of tithes and offerings. Even though you cannot see it, test him on this says the Lord. I have experienced it and I have seen it and someday maybe we'll do a whole message on it but I just wanted to share with you yet another example of the things that we doubt because we cannot see it. From turning the other cheek to saying that less money in my pocket means more money in my pocket. What in the world? But one thing that you can trust is in the promises of God. So number one, we doubt because we don't understand. Number two, we doubt because we cannot see it. And number three, we doubt because we are afraid and unwilling to surrender. You remember a couple of months when I told you the story about Charles Blunding, the guy that walked the tightrope across Niagara Falls? Remember, he went back and forth, and then he went in one of those cool barrels. When he got to the other side, he's like, yay, how many of you guys believe I could do it again? Woo! How many of you guys think that I could make it back and forth without a problem? Woohoo! You think I could do it? Yeah! Can I get a volunteer to get in the barrel? And not one person was willing to enter the barrel. Yeah, I believe it, but not to the point that I'm willing to put my life on the line. And many of us doubt because we are afraid and unwilling to surrender our lives entirely to God. We must surrender. Peter struggled with the exact same thing. Over and over, Christ was telling him, my day is coming, my day is coming, and in three days, and this must take place. And suddenly when they come to arrest him, Peter refused to allow the wisdom of Christ to take place. So he decided to try to kill the poor soldier and ended up cutting off his ear. Why? Because he didn't want to trust God's plan, even if it doesn't make any sense. You mean by dying you're going to save us? What? We need to be willing to surrender. We need to not be afraid. So reason number three is because we are afraid and not willing to surrender or sacrifice. Number one, we doubt because we don't understand. Number two, we doubt because we just can't see it. Number three, because we are afraid to surrender, to sacrifice, to completely give in to God. And number four, lastly, we doubt because of our love of sin. Step to Christ, page 111. Disguise it as they may. The real cause of doubt and skepticism, in most cases, is the love of sin. The teachings and restrictions of God's words are not welcome to the proud, sin-loving heart. And those who are unwilling to obey its requirements are ready to doubt its authority. In order to arrive at truth, we must have a sincere desire to know the truth and a willingness of heart to obey it. And all who come in this spirit to study the to study of the Bible will find abundant evidence that it is God's word and they may gain an understanding of its truth that will make them wise unto salvation. Go right ahead and go to John 7:17. 7, John 7:17. 7, 
understand that doctrine plays a key role. It is a reflection of our true surrender to him. Look what it says in John 7, 17. If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. When it comes to doctrine, when it comes to these different things, we need to know what it is or isn't. And many of us refuse to accept it. Many refuse to believe it. Many refuse to follow it because we just love sin way too much. It feels amazing. It feels great. We talked about that in Sabbath school this morning. But when you follow the ways of the Lord, you can taste it and it is wonderful. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. John 16, 24. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Go ahead and find your way over to Proverbs chapter 4, last verse for today. And let me explain this concept of doctrine and joy and trusting in him and carrying his paths. We love sin way too much. We refuse to give it up. And that's the main reason for doubting. Because the things of God goes against our very nature where we want to do these other things. That nature that we have been trained or nurtured, that we have been trained with and brought up with in sin. And therefore we love it, we like it, and that's the reason why we doubt. However... If you earnestly seek him and trust him and you ask him to take away these sins from your life, he is faithful to do so. Many people take this test to think that if you ask him for a brand new car, he's going to get that out to you. Yeah, he could do that. But what it's talking about here of asking things in my name, if there's any struggle, any challenges, anything in your life that is hard for you to let go, ask me and I will deliver you. Ask me and I will carry you through. Ask me and I will bring salvation to you this very day from whatever it is that is persecuting you. And so I love, I love how that works. You know, um, we had a conversation in Sabbath school this morning about how does it work when you start following God's will? Does it make things easier? And in some respects it does, but I also did point it out that, you know, your, your temptations and challenges may become a little bit harder. However, I love the promises in Exodus. I don't know if you remember Exodus when the, when the Israelites were, were crossing the Red Sea. And there was a moment where the Egyptian army was right there and they were getting ready to follow through. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Moses, tell the people the following. Take a good look at your enemy. Because the enemy that you see before you today will not be an issue ever again. And those Egyptians that day never had any problems with the Israelites again. Now other Egyptians and other people later, yes, but those, why? Because God eliminated that problem, that circumstance, that situation once and for all. Did the Israelites have no more enemies after that? No, they had a whole bunch. But that particular enemy was completely out of their lives. And that's what God promises to do for you. Doesn't matter what enemy or what issue or problem is, you ask the Lord and he will take care of that for you. You will face other things possibly. If you're in this world, you're not immune to the trials and tribulations. If you're following the will of God, the enemy will attack you. But you can trust in the fact that you could call it by name, take it before God, and he can't take it away from you. And as new enemies come, take it to the Lord. More come, take it to the Lord. And you bring it to him. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To be to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Proverbs 4.18 describes it as such. 
But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. So what to do with thou? Take it to God. I think there was a man, a, a father, who put it correctly. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let us go ahead and pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, this concept of doubt, you know, I know we, we share a lot of Bible texts, and I know we, we went all over the place with different things, but Father God, it comes down to whether or not we trust you. And there is no relationship whatsoever that can be had if there is doubt. The devil is the master of doubt. He have us question your love for us. He have us question our worthiness. And he is right. We aren't worthy, but the blood of Christ is worthy. And because he is worthy and he promises to exchange his life for our death, we now become worthy, not of ourselves, but it is a gift. So, Father God, we thank you for that. And we ask for the strength to believe in you and trust you, whether we don't understand it, whether we cannot see it, whether we are not willing to surrender, help us surrender, Father God, or whether it is simply that we just love sin way too much. Take this from our lives, Father God, and help us walk in your ways and trust you completely, even if it doesn't make sense. May you bless us and keep us now. It is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.